Good day, y'all. It's Dave from the Big Red F Restaurant Group, based out of my hometown of Boulder, Colorado. Thanks for tuning in to the F Club Podcast, where we sit and have interesting conversations with all kinds of interesting folks doing all kinds of interesting things. Today, we are lucky enough to sit and listen and talk to my friend Patty Calhoun. Patty has been in Denver for over 40 years as the founder and editor of Westward Magazine. Just a grip of knowledge and experience and an iconic Denver figure in so many different areas. And a lovely, lovely person. I hope you enjoy the conversation. We are once again in Lola. This time we're in the basement in B. Lola with my friend Patty Calhoun. Patty and I have known each other for a long, long time, and Patty is the editor of Westward Magazine. One of the many things Patty is, but one of the things that's on her business card is, is that what's on your if business card? If I could card? find a business yeah. card. I don't think I've had a business card since I 1985. Know. I've never had. My dad mm-hmm. was always good at that. He's like, can I get your card? He's like, I, I've known my name for a long time and my phone number. Would you like it? So, yeah. What What is your official, like, is Westward a privately owned who owns Westward? Westward now is a privately owned company owned largely by employees. Wow, nice. But not just Westward. So there are four other papers in our group. Yeah. And it's rare that someone maintains a title of editor of a magazine, of any publication. For, for a his... really long time. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's kind of incredible. Yeah. So I started Westward back in 77 with two friends from college just because it seemed much more reasonable than getting a job. To start a newspaper. Sure, of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah. But it's working. So far, so far At through the pandemic. At a time when, when brick and mortar are getting clobbered and print media is a thing of the somewhat of the past, you're well, still in the game. We are. But one of the good things about Westward is we adopted to digital space really early on because it wasn't scary to have a publication that was free, mm-hmm. which really freaked people out about moving into the web because they thought, how do we charge for it? We've never charged for it. So right. it was easy. You could do a free paper. You could do a free website. Yeah. So advertising for any rag, and I say that in all the nicest ways, <laughs> advertising pays the bills. That's the only way we pay the bills. Although we now have a membership plan, which is if you sign up, you can get the website without ads on it. Oh, nice. So we are taking memberships now. Yeah, CNN without the commercials. So in the earlier days, maybe let's say 15 years ago, when you would pick up, that's not the early days, let's just say 15 years ago, you would pick up a Westward and the back four or five or six pages were mostly massage and escort services, a little random kind of stuff, but it was that kind of uh, advertising going on. And it wasn't 20 pages, it was four or five, as were every magazine of that nature in the country. And then Colorado being the first state to lead the way in the legalization of marijuana, the amount of weed advertising is astonishing. Astonishing. So what we, the interesting thing is we discovered how big the market was becoming in 2008 before weed was legalized, but medical marijuana was when we saw that there were these dispensaries opening and advertising. And it turned out there was a loophole in the law that was passed in 2007, which allowed medical marijuana stores to open and be caretakers. And we discovered it really from looking at the ads in our paper because they figured it out sooner than we did. So that's when we started covering marijuana really heavily, hired a weed critic, first one in the country. Yeah. 
and just such an interesting business to write about, yes. even though it happens to be a lucrative business for advertising, especially during the pandemic, because right. people are buying a lot of weed. A lot of weed. But it's a blast to write about. Yeah. And interestingly, weed likes to advertise in print. It likes to put in coupons. It's like the 60s all over again. But I'm talking about the Betty Crocker 60s when people mm -hmm. wanted coupons. That's what weed advertising is like. And there isn't sort of, I mean, sometimes you just, you flip the pages and they're taking prime. They're not only in the back of the mag, they're taking the front inside cover. They're taking the back cover. Like, is there an oversaturation from an analytic advertising? I mean, you know a lot about advertising. When is enough enough? When does it become too much or is it still all working? Well, Don't we actually you. limited the amount of weed advertising you could have, partly because the salespeople weren't paying as much attention to their regular clients because it was so easy to sell right. weed advertising because we're the natural to go to. Plus, weed doesn't like to advertise online because you cross state lines. So it can get a little dicey that way. But now during the pandemic, it's not like restaurants have money to spend on advertising. Exactly. Fine. It's fine by me. If I could have escort ads pay for our journalism, I can certainly have weed pay for our journalism. <laughs> much easier to justify. Yeah. But the escorts are gone now. I mean, there's pretty no, much, yeah. pretty much. You know, escort business, I haven't really researched that, but during the pandemic, I can't guess it's a strong one. Yeah. And that's another business that actually did go online. You don't need print anymore to do escort services. Yeah. So that was kind of a big, I'm avoiding. COVID and pandemic questions here just because you can I brought the, it up because all the what no I'm I'm we're gonna we're gonna dabble in and out of it I want to kind of talk about this evolution when you first started 1977 I don't know if Giovanni's was open then but soon after not yet or, but it was but, soon and Dudley's was sort of in that same era Dudley's was definitely open okay and and Imbergamo and Tommy Wise and a lot of these early food personalities in town here and then you and I met in 1990 when I was the chef at Cliff Young's, late 80s, 90s, early 90s. And at that time, there was a different crowd of chefs. Jimmy Schmidt had opened the Rattlesnake Club, the sort of first national attention that Denver had gotten. The celebrity chef. The celebrity chef, giving us some real credibility. And Jimmy Schmidt, of all of that ilk, was a really good guy, I thought. Oh, that was a great restaurant. Yeah, too. it was a killer restaurant. And so Noel was at Strings, Michael Dagenhart was at Tante Louise, Kevin Taylor's at Zenith, Amit Cliffs. It Mel Masters. At, Mel Masters was at, where was he at? Mel's. Wasn't but, it? No, before no, it was No, it was Mel's. Before, something before Mel's he was at. Was he at Dudley's? He was at Dudley's. That's where he started. So it was a small group. There were no women. There were no women front. There were no women, you know, celebrity bartending didn't really exist at that time. And certainly no women chefs at that time that were really crushing it, getting any print, getting any press, getting any any voice. And now there's this whole super talented group of chefs and restaurant owners, many women, talented chefs, talented owners and operators, James Beard winners. Denver's national rep is really taking off, getting attention from restaurant groups from New York City and Louisiana. And, you know, we've dabbled. Back and forth. I remember when that place across next to Ilfornio, when Ilfornio changed, and David, what's his name? He had his name on the restaurant. I can't remember what it was. My friend John Platt from Q's was his roommate at the Culinary Institute. But after Ilfornio, it'll come up to yeah, me at, like, yeah. at four in the morning. Yeah, 
It, it didn't was, last long. It didn't was, last long. Yeah. yeah. And he was going to show. He it was, was very gonna, meaty. He was going to show Denver how it was done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good luck with that. But now there's this whole different level of a restaurant scene. And you've seen it all. It's very rare that somebody has this sort of history of Denver food because you've had to pay attention to it. You had to know the chef's names, the restaurant names, the owners, the operators, who was coming, who was going. You, uh, more than anyone, has seen this whole thing happen. Or more than anyone remembers it. Or there that, are some others who've been too. through it. Yeah. So I've always thought about restaurants. I cover it the way most people would cover sports. I think it's a lot more interesting than sports, but it's really like sports or music entertainment. Restaurants and the chefs in this town, there are celebrities, but there are talented celebrities. They're really fun people to watch, to watch how they play, to watch the trades. So we cover it like sports. Mm -hmm. it, with the addition uh, that we will tell people if we don't think they're doing well. Uh, I guess the Broncos fans do that too, but they'll still go to the game. Yeah. The difference here is if it somebody's might, not, not doing well game. with their restaurant, they are not going to go to the game. Yeah. What do we got here, Daniel? Holy shit. Wow. So just a little spicy shrimp and crab with a little saffron rice. Nice. So a um, little clamato, garlic butter, and a touch of our bodega for the sauce. Just sauteed the shrimp and tossed some crab in there. So oh, man. Thank you, brother. A little spice to it. Beautiful. There you guys go. Thanks, Enjoy. team. So when I first moved here, uh, which was fleeing Chicago because there were way too many Calhouns there, but when I started westward, the height of what you could do would be go to the broker and get a free bowl of shrimp. That was what everyone who came to visit and was on an expense account, that's where we would go. And then you watch the evolution like Cafe Giovanni was the first really great, cool place to go. And our office was down right by Cafe Giovanni in the days when it wasn't even named Lodo. It was just no one thought about going there. It was just slightly off Larimer Square, which had some okay restaurants, but was Magic Pan territory. Sure. Mexicali so then you saw, and, yeah. But then you saw some of these really interesting restaurants coming in, like Cafe Giovanni, which didn't last forever, but was great while it mm -hmm. did. And then you was, you watched other people evolve, but still Denver, 2007. I remember no restaurant really opened because we were trying to find someone to win the Best of Denver that year. And I think we gave it to the Biscuit, Sean Kelly's restaurant, yeah. because it was the only thing that opened in 2007. Yeah. And I'm sorry if one of yours restaurants yeah, no, did. Yeah, we did. And I missed we, it. We, we missed that. We missed that year. So you're downtown. The Westward offices are downtown. Always have been. And, well, you were out on, weren't you on South Broadway for a hot minute? We were 10th in Broadway for 20 years, but that still counts as downtown. Oh, okay. So let's see. So our offices went from 1439 Market, which... Gaslight Bar, I think, might still be open right by there, to Above the Wazee, favorite office ever, as you can imagine, because mm -hmm. we could sneak down at night and get pizza and get yelled at because we weren't supposed to take the back stairs. But, you know, we closed that bar a lot. It was a great era. Then we moved over to 15th and Platt, close to here, when Maxfields and Friends, if you ever saw that, mm -hmm. was there. And that was, they didn't really understand what Denver's dining scene was like yet. They were a little ahead of their times for the location. But Kitty Corner for my brother's bar. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. And then opposite the Wine Coop Brewing Company, the year it opened, we were there 10 years and then 10th and Broadway. And now we're at 12th and Lincoln. So we've seen it all from the So core. you've seen it all. And you've reported on it all. We've reported on most of it, yeah. Back in the day, 
a restaurant owner, a chef, people that were invested in the success of a restaurant, they would live and die by the, by the pen of a critic. That has certainly changed with the internet, you know, from the days of John Kessler and some of the earlier folks that you had on your, your team and you yourself being the critic and my, my favorite petulant Jason Sheehan and Kyle Wagner and Gretchen Kurtz, like the older group, as opposed to some of the newer folks, they could crush a restaurant's wildest dreams. They could really put a hammer, as could Bill St. John when he was at the Rocky Mountain News and Dick Creck and the other folks. Creck was doing food. He did some or more. He wrote more. Yeah. Who was the food writer for the Post at that? During uh, that let's zone? see. Bill St. John, Michael Carlton. You go back yeah, to those yeah, yeah. days. Yeah. yeah. So, well, and they the post stole Kessler from us, then they stole Kyle from us. Yeah, and then John Lindorf was at the post for a hot minute too. Right. Yeah. So, how have you seen that change, and what's your sort of take and opinion on how a restaurant critic, like, what are you telling your critics nowadays that you used to tell them differently back in the day? Well, let's go back to March. 2020, because basically we're saying now you don't write criticism of restaurants. You write about restaurants. You report on what they're doing. You report on great deals that are going, but it's pretty hard to do a critical analysis of a restaurant under the certain limitations they have. I mean, if you see someone's really ripping someone off, you can write a news story about that. But I would argue that no one who is doing putting a restaurant on now needs a critic to come in and analyze what that one dish was like. If the dish is great, tell people. But you can't do a standard review. And I don't know when that day will come back. I don't know anyone in the country who's really doing standard restaurant reviews. But before this. Oh, before. 15, 16, 19, 2000. You know, if if music can have restaurant, if music can be reviewed and movies can be reviewed and art and theater can be re- reviewed, of course you should review restaurants because it's how people are choosing to spend several hours of their time and a lot of cash. And is it worth it or not? And I think in general, if the restaurant re- reviewer is responsible and educated and smart and has an editor who works with them, it's going to be helpful for everyone, both the reader and the restaurant, even if it's a rave, even if it's pan. Do the analytics that you use show, as far as open rates, are reviews still getting read? Restaurant stories are still getting read. One of our most popular stories right now is the 100 restaurants we can't live without in Denver. So people really care about food. I have to say, we put up a story about Casa Bonita today that's flying. So. Yeah. People, ca- people care a lot about institutions. I wrote about the Denver Diner not reopening. That was one that got a lot of people paying attention. Yeah. When Racine's decided they weren't coming back. Because in so many ways, the restaurants define the city they live in. It's where they go. It's what they care about. It's their place away from home. Much more than, you know, the band they've seen mm-hmm. or the art show they saw. Or the sports Re- team that might or might not be doing well that year. Or might trade their best player. Sure. So... Restaurants are part of their their landscape. They can't, just like Mount Evans, I mean, they can't imagine Denver without that restaurant. Mm -hmm. And that's what's been really challenging through the pandemic because people miss their place and they miss their faces and they miss the taste they like and they miss going out to their other place. Who, in your opinion, so we had these iconic restaurant tours back in the day. 
Pierre Wolf. Pierre Wolf. Corky Douglas. Cliff Young. Who falls in that that category, or has that just totally changed to where certainly Bobby Stuckey is in that realm of the new front man, as you might say, mad talents with wine and food and experienced. Who else is in that old school? You know, you think of like the the classic old restaurants in New York City or Chicago or L.A. where you didn't even know who the chef was. The chef might change every year. No one cared. But that front man, that's who you were going to see. That's who you were going to talk to. It's It's changed the whole. It's changed a lot. And partly you have to go back to COVID because the host's role is so different. I I just was at Jack's the other night where what where Tom Moxie came, you know came over and was really doing that old school host schmooze which was really fun cuz you don't see that often partly because people are too busy asking you about your mask and everything else but i love the restaurants like your group and Jen and Beth's group crafted concepts where you have people Beth is a really classy front person she is the yeah, cla- yeah. and she that's a great partnership because you have a clear back of the house you've got a who also is always out there, the most upfront back of the house person imaginable, Jen and Beth, but they're always out in the community doing things. You think about Josh Walken, who's kind of the same, except he's really, unless I've missed something, not at the front in Steuben's right now or Ace. Yeah. But you have, you have got these restaurant groups of people who are so involved in the community, so it's much more than just their own restaurant. And I think when you think about Pierre or Corky, you thought about them completely in the context of their own restaurant. Now you think about Beth and Jen or you or Josh in the context of the restaurant scene in general, Mm -hmm. helping everybody else, working with everybody else. It's a much more communistic, I might say, organization. Mm -hmm. Good one. I like that. So your offices are across the street from the wine coop. This is 1987. 1989, we moved in. The wine coop moved, opened in 88. 88. And you, you know what Lodo was like down there. Oh, my gosh. We were still all drinking at the terminal. Yeah. It was dangerous. Fun. Fun and dangerous. So you meet this geeky ex-geologist named John, who's going to open Colorado's first brew pub and America's maybe second or third at the time. What was, what was that like? What was he like? Well, it was funny because I came sideways. I knew some of his partners. you were so hammered, you came in sideways? Well, you could have said that. No, but it was basically the wine coop opening was the only thing that happened in Denver, Colorado in 1988. We came over from our office at 15th and Platt. I knew Barbara McFarlane, who was a partner, who was married to Russell Shearer, the first brewer. now married to Pete Marzik. Right, exactly. And was married to Russell Shearer, so I knew those two. And so you went, they were going to have this free lunch for their opening. And because it was the only thing that happened in all of Denver in 1988, the place was jammed. I mean, it was unbelievable how hammered they were with this. And they'd offered, I can't remember, 25 cent beers and they didn't have enough cups. And they were reusing, it was a health department nightmare, reusing the cups. And in the middle of all that, I did meet John Hickenlooper. And you're like, wow, this is going to be a wild ride. Mm Mm-hmm. You did not immediately think he was going to be the next mayor, governor, and senator from that meeting. And I know you say that in a lighthearted way, not because of anything that John wasn't. You didn't think he was going to be the next mayor and governor and senator and be a, and run for president. But you did see someone who was really intuitive and smart, buying property in downtown, identified that area, got a smoking deal on the wine coop building, a dollar a foot. 
in the early days, I learned a ton from him. And thankfully, he liked oysters and beer, so he was hanging around Jack's a lot. But just crazy. And I remember some debates in the early days when he was running for mayor the first time that you moderated at that city center at the convention center and it was just kind of crazy you know from someone in the industry from a guy who was kind of in the brotherhood of restaurant owners and operators could take that route and go that route it was it was it was fantastic to watch well, it was fun to see. Partly, I have to say, I made a lot of money betting on Hickenlooper winning the mayor's race just because he captured Denver at that time so well. It's a town full of entrepreneurs. They're mm-hmm. not the normal model of entrepreneurs. They're people who come out here and they see a city they already like and they want to make it even better by bringing something they generally think the city needs and usually it does. So the wine coop, for example, was a perfect thing to bring to the city. And Hickenlooper, as you know, is the most extroverted person on the planet. Yeah. You can't even imagine how he could have been a geologist off, you know, just with By the himself, rocks. With right, hammer exactly. and rocks, yeah. Because he just, there has never been a person you more wanted to meet in a bar late at night. And fortunately, our office was across the street. And we kept them alive that first year because newspaper drinkers on Monday night. Sure. Deadline night. Yeah. Yeah, saved him. Let me go back to the critic situation. During COVID, you've you've clamped them all down. Don't do anything that would hurt somebody's ability to do business, which is very kind of Westward. Unless they deserve, unless to they be deserve hurt. it, sure. I mean, if they're, let's but I think you phrased it as delivery. we're going to do a story. There's mm-hmm. a difference between a review and a story. Absolutely, yeah. we do stories now. Yeah. So back in the day, I had issue with one of your reviewers, and you let me write an editorial, and you printed every word of it. And I asked you, look, I want to write an editorial. I just want you to print every word of it. And you did. And I'm dropping F-bombs and calling this guy out. And it was, no one had ever really done that. No one had ever really shot back at a reviewer in that way because you never, you know, questioned that or called them out because they have the power of the pen and they buy ink in 55-gallon barrels. And But he deserved it. And his review was, was he was an asshole. Have you gotten in trouble? before with that kind of thing have you gotten in trouble with not only food reviews but with stories being written that i mean i'm sure many magazines get sued and there's lots everybody likes to scream libel and defamation has westward come under fire oh sure we come out we come under fire every day although i have to say Lately, it's much worse just because civil discussion has gotten so much worse. Mm -hmm. And the internet makes it so easy to be uncivil. And anonymous. And anonymous. But I have to say, we never let our critic be anonymous. We wouldn't let Jason Sheehan, who just might be the person you're talking about, be anonymous. You have to stand up for what they're talking about. They were supposed to be anonymous when they reviewed, which is why I usually had to take the line of fire. But you want this to be a discussion. You want, you're going to be in Denver the day after that review comes out and the week after that review comes out. So you'd better be prepared to back up what you're going to say, listen to criticism. If it's fair, take it to heart. If it's not fair, let people still have their say. Right. Because one of the dangers is, I mean, we've gone so far from that now with Yelp where you've got, I don't even know how you fight Yelp if you are a restaurant. You can't. You can't. And it's really hurt criticism too because people seem to think – Anyone can be a critic, and that's not the case. Whether you agree with a critic or not, they've got to be educated. They've got to know what they're doing. They've got to be ethical. 
But Yelp, Yelp has none of those standards. Exactly. And it's really, really bad. But what Yelp does have, as much as I hate it. Is a reach. It has a huge reach. It's the voice of our guest. So whether we agree with it or not, it is the voice of a guest and there's nuggets in all of it. And so when you drop your ego and when you just say, all right, let's just read what this person was saying, more often than not, there's something to glean, there's something to learn. And if you hear it more than once, then it's a movement, you know, it's, it's real. But it's the spiteful nature, and this is, you know, the last four years of our lives, that, that, that volume and that, that rhetoric has been revved up and, and cranked up. But it's really challenging because, you know, you can't just get online and, and rip a book or rip a movie, or rip a car, or a surfboard. You got to have some cred in that arena, in that industry, to be able to speak knowledgeably and fairly on what it was you experienced from driving a car, or test driving a fly rod, or doing whatever it is you're doing. But anybody who comes in and buys a meal then has this international forum to voice their, their feelings. It's really challenging. I read all the criticism comments about Westward, some good, some bad, some really bad. But the difference is they might affect someone from picking up the paper. Maybe they might inspire someone to not go to an advertiser, but that's rare. But you with Yelp, it might affect where someone's going to dinner that night or for the next few nights. And it's really challenging because those are so unfair and for the most part, so uneducated. When the review ends with, I can't wait till this place goes out of business. These are people's lives. You know, the the servers, the chefs, everybody who might have poured their life's dream into this restaurant. And because he or she had a bad day or got cut off because they had drank too much or just didn't like how spicy something was or their grandmother made it better and and can just rip into a business. It's unbelievable. This is just malarkey. I'd like to go on record saying malarkey. I live. She yeah, said. malarkey. Isn't yeah. that good? I live two blocks from here. You can cut me off anytime. Well, we cut you off many times, home. Patty. Mm-hmm. You know that. I'm glad mm-hmm. that you were able to admit that. So what is next with the evolution of the print media magazine like Westward? I know you can't predict the future. Well, I can try. I would hope that print publications never go out because they are. It's there's still some joy in picking up Picking something up in your hands and reading. It's a different act, I think, than it is just reading online. You might see publications, print publications completely disappearing. It's expensive. It's time-consuming to do it that way. But it's a really different way to read. And if you're trying to write with style and length, it's sometimes the only way to really write. So we are hoping that we will not have to go the way of many other publications that have quit doing it in print. I think Westward is here to stay for a long time as a free print publication. But online is a blast. I mean, we can break stories all the time, which we couldn't do in print. Sure. Once a week on Wednesdays. Exactly. So we put up 20 stories a day. They're all up by now. That's the good news. That's why I can be sitting here. But we put up 20 stories a day. Some are breaking news. We just heard about a chef in Chicago who's come here who had some issues with the press in Chicago and is trying to do a fresh start. Anyway, they're really interesting issues you can get into and a lot more than we could do in print. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think our governor has handled the pandemic? I have to, well, right now, if the numbers are accurate, right where when we sit here, he's done pretty well. 
I think he's been impressive. I like it that Jared is a very science data-based guy. So he might make a mistake, but at least he can tell you why he's making the decision he is. And it's generally not because someone gave him money or he got pressured. I mean, he is looking at the numbers. And right now, Denver looks pretty good. He's doing a press conference right now where I'm assuming he's going to reduce some of the restrictions on different businesses, including restaurants. But you compare Colorado to other cities, uh, to other states, and I think we're doing pretty well. Um, And with the vaccine rollout as well. With the vaccine rollout, he's definitely doing better than most states. And you think we're also having all these tourists still come, especially mm-hmm. during ski season. So that's a wild card that's very Which hard to factor in. Which is what cranked it all up last March. Exactly. Yeah. And cranked it up again. But so far, looks pretty good. Knock on. It is yeah, wood. Exactly. How do you think Hancock has handled I have been pandemic? less impressed with Hancock. One of the problems is his inaccessibility. And I don't think he's really communicated clearly with people about what's going on. Even as a leader, you're only getting the information that's being passed to you. So, for example, the city has no access to getting vaccines outside what's coming to the state. But I think he, in general, hasn't been as forthcoming as he should have been. And he gave away a lot of his power with that Thanksgiving trip. Mm -hmm. And I would hope he uses the rest of his final term to really step up and do a lot of the things that needs to be done because he doesn't have to worry about getting campaign donations unless he's running for something else. He doesn't have to worry about pissing off supporters. This is his chance to prove if he had a vision, let's see if we can get it through. It's been my thought that he did want to run for something else, which is why he hasn't been pissing people off. I know, but you should piss people off anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's so much fun. Off, not, well, I yeah. really met you when you were pissed off at me. Exactly. So. <laughs> that was a good story. And how do you think Westward has handled the pandemic? We have handled the pandemic with coverage probably as well as we could. You know, limited staff when everyone else is covering the basics on it. But we still are bringing up issues when we see them, giving basic information. But I think a lot of our mission is still to remind people, you live in a community. You can still connect with this community, however you do. I mean, so we emphasize what you can do with restaurants. We emphasize if bars are open and have the outdoor area and they're following the rules, we emphasize that. If people are trying to bring back live music, we do that. I actually type listings, which I haven't done since... I don't even want to say what decade, because I think every one of these institutions is trying to do something for you, whether it's online or in person, they are trying to survive and they are trying to bring you something. So it's our job to tell you, you can go see these things. You can see them in your home. You can go out if you go out, but get out or support the people in the city. Do everything you can to connect to Denver. Yeah. Remind me of the story that I called you when I was pissed off. Sheehan. Weren't you pissed off about Sheehan? Yeah, but you not, might have called me about you. something else. Well, it's the same thing. I edited him, so I yeah. edited him. And Sheehan was an interesting thing because I did think he was the right critic for the time because it was the transition of the restaurants. He read Kinchin Confidential and he just well, of he course. was this wannabe Anthony Bourdain, which no one can be Anthony Bourdain no, but Anthony but Bourdain. He'd worked in kitchens. I mean he wasn't talking about He worked in a hack country club down in Florida for <laughs> We hired him out of Albuquerque. But the Shoe- fact was. Shoemaker. 
the fact was, he's a great writer. He is a great writer. He's doing good things in Philadelphia. He won a James Beard Award uh, for his writing, did he not? He won a James Beard Award within his first year at Westward. Yeah. It was extraordinary. He didn't have such a great stint in Seattle, though. No, he had a very bad stint in Seattle. It was worse than Denver. They didn't. They were not having any of that shit. Right. So it was too bad Petulant. because he, he he's, I, he's a little punk. He is a punk, but now he's an older punk. Yeah. It's a little hard. It's harder to be an older punk. Yeah. The line into curmudgeon is really really fine. Got to keep your dance moves smooth. Anything that you want to talk about? You know, I am interested in how people feel about restaurants. Do they feel? good about going out do they feel it's safe how do they feel restaurants really fit into denver's cultural scene because i have to say i think restaurants are denver's cultural scene and a lot of things spin off it but you mean during the pandemic during the pandemic and beyond so what happens after people are vaccinated it's better they can go out will they go out and support people will they go out and see people will they be a pain in the ass or will they be more generous spirited they'll be all of those things just as they were before the pandemic well, i would like to see a little more generosity well, of spirit i think that the last 4 years has well that's true you know it, it's it's like your friend group you know you don't hang around with people that are assholes they kind of get weeded out of the group so when we have challenging guests you know, you sometimes have to fire your guests. And the, the, the customer is always right, has always been the, the mantra, but they're not always right. You just have to let them be wrong gracefully. It's a finesse. It's an art to be able to do that. Then there's a moment where you have these folks that come in. We had one in here at Lola last week. I will not wear a mask. It's my right to not have to wear a mask. And, you know, we're back to, hey, it's our house, our rules. We hate to lead with no, but you're going to get no the whole time. So, you know, we have to escort people out of the restaurant because this guy, Solo, had had a few cocktails. He wasn't having it, you know, and this is, I'm sure he does this at the grocery store, at the hardware store, and at work, and, you know, there's just those folks. There are people from the very beginning who just didn't care. They're okay. They're not scared. They're going to go out and do their thing, and as soon as they can get into a restaurant, they are going to. But they're not going to play by the rules. No, and they're playing they're by gonna, the, No, yeah. and they're, you know, by and large, everybody's been amazing. You know, they just announced today that restaurant workers are going to qualify for 1B category okay. Good. with frontline workers, So, which is the right way to do it, you know. But it's going to be an interesting path post, and I don't know when, I don't know what the date of somebody can say, we're beyond it, or this is when it ended, but... Coming out of this, you talk about the foodies and the Yelpers. So you have all these folks that, you know, are, are self-proclaimed foodies. I'm a foodie. You know, people like to say that, which makes a lot of restaurant people go, oh, you know, oh, man, here we go. And so these foodies, there, there was a time pre-internet where you could bullshit somebody, you know, like you can't. You can watch Somebody break down a cow while you're sitting at a stoplight right now. You can learn how to make tortelloni uh, at the dentist office. And food is fascinating, and, and it's it's very rewarding to cook and to learn how to cook. And so I think that the average home cook is now really good. The foodie now actually knows what the hell they're talking about. So coming out of this, there's going to be no gray area for restaurants. C-level performers, B-level restaurants, they're going to get dumped. 
because the guests, the consumers, on a lot of fronts with a lot of different products are going to have zero tolerance for anything less than make my day, blow me away. You know, I don't expect, you know, jugglers and, and fireworks, but do not disappoint me or the, the ramifications for disappointment are going to be a lot harder. Forget the bad Yelp review. I think it'll be much bigger and I don't know how it's going to present and how it's going to be carried out, but you know, Sheila, who you know quite well, mm-hmm. and I talked this morning about this with, with Jax. Coming out of this, we have to look at every single touch point and every single thing we're doing and make it better because everybody's been home cooking for a year and they're tired of their own food at this point. And those who don't like to cook and don't know how to cook are really over this shit because they just want to get back out to restaurants. But the folks who do know and knew a little or a lot before this whole thing went down, they're really, they have honed up their skills. And bullshitting people's not going to work anymore. Not delivering a really, really solid experience is is going to be super detrimental. That's really interesting. I mean, you will have the certain people who want to go back to Applebee's. They're going to be happy oh, with Applebee's. Oh, my God, there's always going to be those But you're folks. right. It's the yeah. mid-level that were over-touting what they were doing as being something special and precious. They're going to be in a lot of trouble. A lot. Yeah. There's going to be no bullshit coming out of this. You know, people's tolerance for a lot of levels of bullshit, be it at work, be it with friendships, be it in relationships. I hope everybody's setting a higher standard. I know that I am and at Big Red F, you know, we're, we have zero tolerance for bullshit anymore. Well, let's hope people are more respectful of what goes into running a restaurant. Maybe they'll know. I doubt it. Yeah. Why? People. I mean, why? You know, city governments throwing huge tax credits to corporations coming into town, building buildings because they're going to employ people. Well, we've been employing people at one point, you know, before Apple and Twitter and a couple of those other companies, Crispin Porter came to Boulder. We were the, one of the largest employers in Boulder, in downtown Boulder. I don't remember ever getting a freaking tax credit. I, we can't get anything. No, it is funny how that happens. Right. I remember when someone walked into our office in 1988 and said, wow, the only hires in Denver have probably been made here or at the wine coop. Yeah. Because small businesses just keeping on. The restaurants create the thread and fiber of a community and of a town. You know, when we were talking about before we started recording, your dad opening a restaurant. Same week I I started Westward. Which is yeah. so funny. I didn't yeah. even realize it because I wasn't paying much attention. In Glencoe, where, right next to a restaurant where I worked. it was, And that restaurant is still there. And it is the absolute, you know, it's the town hall of, of that I'm town. I'm sorry to report it's no longer there. Oh, it's no longer no. there. No. They sold it pretty early on, but the town had only two delis. Sold it to Letman. Yeah, sold yes. it to Letman, but then it went through a couple hands and now it's gone. I'm trying to remember what it was. But the town had only delis. That's because it's a huge Jewish community up there. Huge Jewish community. Yeah. Great There were delis. some country clubs. There yeah. were really good delis. Really good delis. And Big Al's, the hot dog stand. Yeah. Where we would oh, go like God, hang after school. Big Al's. Yeah. But interestingly, restaurants and newspapers generally 40 years ago had the same rate of failure, which was huge. One out of five maybe survived the first year. Yeah. Yeah. Still, still high. All right, Patty. Well, thank you, Dave. Thanks so much. Thanks it's for always, feeding uh, me. Fun yes, to talk. Feeding. Food always, for thought and uh, the rest. Always fun to talk. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Patty Calhoun. Lovely, lovely woman. Fierce force of nature. 
iconic Denver figure and just kicking ass in all areas of life and a wonderful drinking partner. Special thanks to Stanton Sutton, all the editing, taking out all the ums and the ahs and the music, putting in the music, not taking that out. Next month, beginning in March, we will be doing a conversation with some oyster folks. We got some oyster producers, longtime legacy oyster farmers, oystermen. We have a scientist from the Audubon Society down in New Orleans doing work in the Gulf Coast region and our friend Chef Ryan Pruitt from Pesh Restaurant. So we're gonna get get into it with oysters, all about oysters. Oysters, oysters are fucking awesome. That's